pray and get into God's Word this morning. You know what? I have to, get, I have to tell you that I'm pretty proud of our, our guys, men. Yesterday, they did an awesome job, and they had it all covered. And I want to thank, I want to thank the men who, in particular, put together the burritos because I have never outside of my own home fed my boys that inexpensively and that well. Yeah, yeah. I'll give them dollars all day long for a burrito and a drink. All day long. Breakfast burrito. Yeah. Yeah, so uh, praise the Lord. We, we got, that was worth the price of admission alone, Richard, just so you know that. <laughs> but you know what? Uh, a lot of folks came, a lot of folks, uh, the community came around and and, and there was, uh, you know, gospel, the gospel message, a lot of sharing of Christ and things like that. And so uh, it was a good thing. But let's get into God's Word. You know, the body of Christ just being the body of Christ, right? You understand that not one person can do it all, right? I don't care how gifted someone is or how charismatic or how good of a speaker or how organizationally skilled they are. No one person can do it all. And it was never meant to be that way. That everybody in the kingdom of God has a part, all right? Everyone, everybody, everyone. And so, are you playing your part? Let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, thank you for what you've done. Thank you for the fellowship of Christ Jesus. Thank you that we have each other. We are the body. And though we are many, we are one. And so, we, uh, we thank you for what's already taken place in this, in this house. And now, Lord, that you would speak by your Holy Spirit. Challenge us, stir us, encourage us, that we would move forth in your power for your glory. In Jesus' name, everyone said, Amen. Amen. Give someone a high five and have a seat if you would. All right, open up your Bibles or turn on your phone after you mute it, of course, to 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. 1 Peter chapter 4, verse 8. We're going to look at a little bit of context. Peter is speaking to the church who is scattered about Asia Minor and, and, and various places, and he's talking to them in the midst of great persecution. <clears throat> They're having a difficult, difficult time. This is the first Really not the first, but it's the first big wave of persecution against the church, all right? And so this is what Peter says. First Peter chapter 4, actually verse 7 says this. The end of the world is coming soon. Therefore, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. Most important of all, continue to show deep love for each other, for love covers a multitude of sins. Cheerfully share your home with those who need a meal or a place to stay. God has given each of you a gift from His great variety of spiritual gifts. Use them well to serve one another. Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God Himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with the strength and energy that God supplies. Then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ. All glory and power to Him forever and ever, and Peter just couldn't take it anymore when he said amen. <laughs> See, asking for amen is not bad. Even Peter did it. Amen. That's what Peter said. So let's set the basis for how we should live, church, today. Let's set the basis for it. Let's set the foundation, okay? Uh, you came here to get trained up this morning. You came here for information, and so we're going to give you that. This is the basis. This is what Peter says 2,000 years ago, the end of the world is coming soon. Get that. 2,000 years ago, Peter said, the end of the world is coming soon. 
I don't think that if you were to poll the early church 2,000 years ago, do you think the church, you think like Jesus will like wait 1,000 years? I think they would have said, no way. Now, I give it a, maybe 10, 15, maybe 100. I mean, you get the sense that the early church, when he said that he was returning, that they believed it could be at any moment. Uh, you just get that sense. Okay, so um, this, this was to, uh, uh, was sort of a reminder from Peter that the end is at hand. And so, uh, to seriously believe this, church, will change the way that you live or it will cause you to live your life in a certain way. To seriously believe that the end of the world is at hand will cause us to live our lives uh, in a way that reflects that. Okay, so this is the foundation. And so he says, this is how you should live because the end of the world is near. It's coming soon. And he says, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. First, be earnest and disciplined in your prayers. And the Amplified Bible says, keep sound-minded and self-restrained and alert, therefore, for the practice of prayer. You could summarize it this way. Keep your wits about you uh, so that you may practice praying. Uh, uh, be be sober-minded, Paul would say in, in, in another scripture. Keep your wits because the end of the world is near and it's going to get crazy. And for sure, things got really crazy for the early church. And Peter says, okay, understand, the end is near. It's going to get crazy. Keep your wits about yourself. Be sober-minded for the purpose of prayer. Okay? How much more do we need that now? By the way, Wednesday night is our monthly church gathering. We fast and we pray and we meet here. So if any of you could meet here. 6.30, Wednesday night, uh, you know, uh, come and pray uh, because we need to be disciplined in the practice of prayer. And prayer takes discipline. It is not easy. Prayer is the great, great equalizer. It has nothing to do with intelligence. It has nothing to do with physical strength. It has nothing to do with anything other than simply your willingness to do it. And it's difficult. It's hard. Your mind wanders. There's all kinds of other things that we need to get to Before we pray. And yet Peter says, hey, be sound-minded, be sober-minded, keep your wits about you so that you may pray. Because prayer is important. So first, in the order of importance, he says after that, is show deep love for one another. Be earnest and disciplined in your prayers and then show deep love for one another. It speaks of the love of God. This particular word, this word for love. Show deep love. The love of the Holy Spirit produced in our hearts. It's a supernatural kind of love. This kind of love is the kind of love that God has for you. That kind of love. John 3.16 says, For God so loved. Peter says, Show deep love for one another. That same word is used. God so loved. Peter says, Show deep love using the same word for one another. Um... Challenge to the end times church is to love one another deeply. Why? Because as persecution grows and as things get crazy, the needs are going to increase. And as people outside the body of Christ, beyond that, they need to see a tangible expression of the love of God in the church. Okay? Most people outside of the church know what we don't like. And mostly the church is known for what it disagrees with. And that's not a bad thing as long as we're speaking the truth in love. 
don't be so prideful as to think that you've expressed the opinion and not loved somebody. Because until you've loved somebody, you don't really have the right to tell them the truth. Because the Bible says share the truth in love. Okay? People outside of these walls need to see a tangible expression of love amongst the Christians. Haven't you heard this? Oh man, you Christians argue about everything with yourselves. Well, that, first of all, that's not true. <laughs> you, guys can't, you guys can't get it together within your own building. How do you know that? You don't even come. I, I, when someone says that, that drives me crazy. Yeah, well, you guys, blah, 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 blah. I go, you ever been? No. Well, then how do you know? You ain't been to church in 10 years talking about what the church does or doesn't do. Come and you'll see. Why should we do that? Peter says, because love covers a multitude of sins. I sure hope the next service gives me the same kind of attention I'm getting here. Sometimes the second service is, you know, they kind of, it's a little bit better now. Because we moved the service time to 10.30 and that macho combo burrito hasn't quite kicked in yet, you know. I don't know if they've fallen out in the spirit or, or what's happening. Deep in prayer, oh Lord, oh Lord, help me finish soon before I fall out. <laughs> love covers a multitude of sins. See, when love abounds in a church, small offenses don't get blown all out of proportion. When love abounds, small offenses don't get blown all out of proportion. It's true in marriage too, by the way. People are quick to forgive. Even big sins are easily forgiven because of love. Doesn't mean there isn't church discipline. Doesn't mean there isn't a place to speak the truth. But we speak it in love. But see, when love covers a multitude of sins, people aren't so critical. Well, I didn't really like the music. Well, maybe you just don't love. Well, you know, I went to that church and nobody said hi to me. Well, who did you say hi to? No one? Well, there you go, all right? I don't know. And we should be loving, especially strangers. Because the opposite is also true. In a church where love is cold, the smallest things get blown way out of proportion. And someone leaves and goes starts a church down the street over something stupid. Can I say stupid? Is that all right? Silly. Something silly. People are slow to forgive and hold grudges. And big sins drive even more division. And people are critical. Because they don't love. Love's not abounding. Boy, that's a lesson to all of us, isn't it? Love covers a multitude of sins. And then Peter goes on and says, Show hospitality to those in need and even offer them a place to stay. Can you say amen? Uh... Hey, speaking of that, can I get a quick poll? The Watoto Children's Choir is coming at the end of July, next, uh, end of January next year. The Watoto Children's Choir. They need nine host homes because you get to host these kids with their chaperones. 
which is an awesome experience. They're, a, I should say, a children's choir from Africa. Um, they will come. Uh, we have a couple of different nights. And, and as a host home, after the concert, two kids and a host would go home with you, and you would host them, which means you need to have a bed for them, all right, or something. You know, I had to sleep on the floor, some sleeping bags. Okay, <laughs> we got this in Africa. Oh, my gosh, you know. But if we have them on um, Sunday evening, uh, you, you have them Sunday and Monday. So, so how many of you would, would open up your home to, to those? And how many would open up for two, two, two days? Could, could you do two days, like a Sunday, Monday, or how many just one day? Okay, I'm, I'm, okay so one day seems to be the easier thing. All right, maybe we'll, I just want to get a quick, quick little poll. Okay, yeah, all right. Okay, so show hospitality to those in need and even offer them a place to stay. Open up your home. Can I say to you that this is where Christianity, as the old expression goes, the rubber hits the road? This is where the rubber meets the road when we open up our home. Because our Western mindset and our Western, that can be foreign to us. Um, uh, we talk about light groups all the time, and many of them do meet in homes because of the dynamic of being in a home. Yes, we have men's groups. Uh, our, our Thursday night uh, uh, precepts Bible study is, is here at the school in, in, in the art room. Um, but uh, when you open up your home and you break bread with someone, that's a, that's a strong statement of fellowship, of unity, of harmony. Uh, I... I I, I, I just think that's where Christianity is lived out. It's not lived out here. This is where we get trained up and sharpened up for the work of the ministry. And a part of that is loving one another, and a part of that has to happen in an intimate setting. There's no more intimate setting than your house. Ah, man. So, what could be more personal than opening up your home and breaking bread? And then how, do we, how are we to do that? Peter says we're to do it cheerfully. And here's what one Greek scholar says. Without grumbling is a frank recognition that the practice of hospitality should become costly, burdensome, and irritating. The Greek term denotes a muttering or low speaking as a sign of displeasure. It depicts a spirit that is opposite of cheerfulness. It's that low... Ugh up my home for that. You know that man. He'll come in here and eat up all my peanut butter. And man, here, man, left Cheerios on the table. The last time I opened up my home for any of them, Christian. No, no, man. Hey, listen, I'm around people all day. I don't want nobody up in my house. Ooh, wow. Oh, we won't be signing you up for Watoto Children Choir, will we? No, sir. They'd be like, hey, pastor, I ain't trying to say nothing, but that people, don't, don't let nobody come over to their house. They wouldn't even let me have a piece of bread. What? I am so sorry. That's a challenge for some of us, huh? Do you know it's a commandment for all of us? Why don't you practice that? Invite your neighbors over. Invite someone in this congregation over. Why don't we love one another in that capacity? 
show hospitality to those in need, and even offer them a place to stay. And the context is those Christians that are coming into town, those Christians that need it. That's the context of it. But you could say to a larger audience as well. And then he says, each one, everybody say, each one has received a gift. Would you just do me a favor? Would you point at someone and say he's talking about you right now? Just, just do that. He's talking about you. All right, thank you. I don't do that often, but each one has received a gift. Now, no, don't say, no, 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 he's talking about you, not me. No, no, you're talking about you, each one. That word means special spiritual enablements given graciously to certain Christians. Spiritual gifts. It's the manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Each one, each one, everyone, every one of you, everyone, everyone. How old are you? Doesn't matter. You have a spiritual gift. Every one. Every one of you. Every one. All of us. Not just the pastor. Not just the evangelist. Not just whomever. Not just the person on TV or the person. No. Every one. Each one. Um, if you want to write down a reference, 1 Corinthians 12 and 13. 1 Corinthians chapter 12 and 13. And so he says, because each one of you has received a gift, minister to one another. And that tells me that our spiritual gifts are not for ourselves, but for the benefit of others. And if we're not in fellowship with one another, how do we manifest those spiritual gifts? We don't. He says in verse 10, and this is the Amplified Bible, as each of you has received a gift, a particular spiritual talent, a gracious divine empowerment, employ it for one another as befits good trustees of God's many-sided grace be faithful stewards of the extremely diverse powers and gifts granted to Christians by unmerited favor. So, as we saw last week in the parable of the talents, it also appears that we are stewards of the gifts that God has given us. How are you stewarding the gift that God has given you? Because the, only, the, the way that you steward it is you use it. And when you use it, you bless others. So how are you stewarding the gift that God has given you? How are you ministering as a good steward. And that word literally means one who governs a household. Meyer says this, manifold grace is multicolored grace. As when a ray of light breaks into a, a, a spray of many hues, so each of us receives God's grace, grace at a different angle and flashes it back broken up into some fresh color. The manifold, multi dimensional grace of God is manifested through you as you utilize the gift that God has given you. I'm going to throw out a challenge to you. And I'm going to say this. If you do not know what your spiritual gift is and you are not moving in that gift, call the office this week and we will make an appointment with you and pray with you and help you to walk through that process. Call Monday. And if you're really eager, call and leave an email today. And we will help you walk through that process. Okay? Don't say you don't have the numbers in your bulletin. And if not, Google it, crying out loud. You Google everything else, right? Where's the, where's the nearest Home Depot? All right, verse 11, he says, Do you have the gift of speaking? Then speak as though God himself were speaking through you. Do you have the gift of helping others? Do it with all strength and energy that 
uh, that God supplies. If, uh, then everything you do will bring glory to God through Jesus Christ, all glory and power to Him forever and ever. Amen. And so, uh, he says, if you speak, understand that it's God who's speaking through you. If you're helping others, understand that it is with the strength and the energy that God supplies. Okay, and so that tells me that when it comes to these things, these spiritual gifts, that God is the source. God the Spirit is the source moving through us. Uh, it may not always be easy, but the Holy Spirit is the source. And if we do things in our own strength, things can get very difficult or very hard. Um, we're limited to our own abilities, so... What I think God's talking about here is not your own ability. So you have to say, you have to get, we have to get out of the mindset of saying, I can't do that. I, can't, you, I, I, I don't have that kind of talent. I, don't, I can't speak like that. I can't go over there. I don't know those people. I can't minister like that. Wait a second. It's not you. You're just the vessel, but it's the Holy Spirit flowing through you that creates the supernatural that you can't do. Because if Christianity stops with our own abilities, we're done. We're not going to accomplish anything for God because you, in your natural self, cannot do anything supernatural. That's why Jesus said, apart from me, you can do nothing. But connected to the vine, the Holy Spirit moving through us, Paul says, I can do all things through Him who strengthens me. I feel like someone should say amen. Thank you. That was for me. That was for me. <laughs> It's true. It's true. That's why Jesus said to the apostles, go to Jerusalem and wait. Notice, he didn't even tell them to go and pray. I know people, oh, the disciples went to, no, they didn't. He says, go and you wait. And it says they were all gathered together in one place and they may have been praying, but he didn't say go pray. He said, go and wait. Because there's a prescribed time when you need to, in order to go to Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world, it's going to take the Holy Spirit. You can't do it on your own, so just go and wait. And the Holy Spirit will come, and when He comes, then you go. Because now we're talking supernatural. Christianity has to be supernatural. If it's just natural, it's no different than any other religious group. If our life is just natural and not supernatural, what difference is it compared to any other belief system? There is no difference. If it's limited to our own abilities, it's not going to... We might be able to accomplish some good things, but it won't be anything of any lasting, eternal value. Is God, do you, do, are you able to speak? Let God speak through you. Do you help others? Do it with the strength that God supplies. He's the power source. So what's the end goal in all of this? So that we can be patted on the back? So that our phone will go off in the middle of service? What would, what would be the end result of this? What would be? Frantically look for the mute button? I know, we've all done it. Let's not look over in that direction where it actually happened. Let's not do that. Let's not do that. We've all done it. Come on. What's the end goal? The end goal is to glorify God. Not glorify you. Corey Timboom, the, the Holocaust survivor, used to say this. Do you know when that donkey was riding into Jerusalem, was walking into Jerusalem with Jesus on 
on uh, 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 his, his back. Do you think that donkey thought all that applause and praise was for him? Do you think so? Donkey was like, whatever, man. I'm just walking through the town with someone real special on my back. Who knows what donkey thinks, think. But it's, it's not for our glory. It's not for our path. It's not so we'll feel good, boy, didn't we? Because that's ultimately selfish. If we do something for God because of, because of what we get out of it, it's ultimately selfish. That's a part of it. He lets you participate in that. But it's all for him. It's all for his glory through Jesus Christ. And so here's the question, okay? Okay, the, the real question is not how much have you got, but are you willing to use what you've got? It's not how much have you got, but are you willing to use what you've got, even if it seems small? And the fact is, God seems to take great delight in using small things in a big way. That's what He does. Consider the poor widow who had a jar of oil and a handful of flour. That was it. First Kings chapter 17 says this. Read the conversation. Please let me... Uh, uh, get me a little while. This is Elijah speaking to this widow who's at, her, at the end. There's a famine in the land. This is all she has. Please let me get a little water in a jar that I may drink. As she was going to get it, he called her and said, Please bring me a piece of bread in your hand. Uh, but she said, As the Lord our God lives, I have no bread, only a handful of flour in the bowl and a little oil in the jar. And behold, I'm gathering a few sticks that I may go prepare for me and my son that we may eat it and die. Elijah said to her, do not fear, go, do as you have said, but make me a little bread cake from it first and bring it out to me and afterward you may make one for yourself and for your son. And that little bit she had got multiplied and provided for her family for three years. And the oil never ran out. Now what if she would have said, I, I don't even know who you are, I'm not giving you my, I need to feed my son. My last piece of bread and oil. Uh-uh. She gave it to God. That little bit. And God multiplied it. It's a kingdom principle. What about the staff in Moses? Uh, the staff that was Moses' rod. Use it to split the Red Sea. What about Gideon's trumpet when it blew? It defeated the Midianites who fought with Israel. Samson killed a thousand Philistines with only the jawbone of a donkey. A thousand. You can't do that, not even in a Bruce Lee movie. Oh, well, he probably uh, could because they come one at a time, right? But that's not reality. <laughs> David's harp drove out demons from King Saul. Elisha took, a, took the cloak. Elijah gave him and struck the river Jordan, and the river dried up. Seventy years after Solomon's temple was destroyed by the Babylonians, the prophet Zechariah told the Jewish governor Zerubbabel, hey, what are you waiting for? Let's build the temple. Zerubbabel was the civic leader in Jerusalem, and he had the responsibility to finish the work of rebuilding the temple. The work was stalled, and Zerubbabel needed encouragement to carry on the work. Zerubbabel probably wondered, how can I do this? You know the scripture, not by might, not by power but by my spirit, says the Lord. That's in the context of finishing the building of the temple that was behind schedule because everybody was busy doing their own thing. That's the context of that. Not by your own resources, your own might or your own power, your own collective strength or your own wisdom, 
but by God's. And so the prophet says, essentially, what's in your hands? A little plumb line used for measuring the height of buildings, Zerubbabel answered. Well, pretty much that's all you need to get started. And you might know this scripture too. Who despises the day of small things? Zerubbabel said, all I have is a plumb line. The prophet said, that's all you need. Don't consider that plumb line a small thing. Because a plumb line in the hand of God will build a temple. Don't despise the small things that you possess. Because they can be used by God to create great results. Have you despised the day of small things? Sometimes it's a season of small things. But don't be despised by that. Don't be discouraged by that because they can be a powerful season. Sometimes the, the day of small things is a season that we're in, but it's a day of processing. It's a season of God doing something, of shaping, of preparation. And Satan would tempt us to despise the days of the small things because he knows what a huge benefit they are for us. So you look at it and you see a lack, but God looks at it and he sees an abundance. So that tells me no talent or no gift is too small. No talent or no gift is too small. The smallest little things that they brought into the temple, uh, into the tabernacle for the building of the tabernacle, God made mention of the smallest of things of what they brought. The smallest of things. Someone might think, oh, this little bitty here, this ain't going to do nothing. Oh, you're wrong. Jesus is watching people bring money into the, the, the temple and everyone's bringing and a widow brings the mite, the smallest amount of, 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 of coinage and, and it gets Jesus' attention. Look, look at the widow. She didn't give all that much on paper, but in heaven she gave a lot. In fact, she gave more than the others did because she gave out of what little she had. That's God's economy. No gift, no talent is too small. Don't minimize your talent. It's easy to see the little that you have and say to yourself, what can I do with this? This meager salary, this insignificant job, my scarce opportunities, my lack of skill. God will show you how to make the most of your talent. And as we saw with the parable of the talents, don't compare yours to someone else. Because if someone multiplies theirs five times, it doesn't mean you will too. You be faithful with God with what God has given you. George Washington Carver was a genius, a black man living in the South. He came across a discovery that would change his life and revolutionize the Southern agricultural industry. One day he prayed, quote, My creator, show me the secrets of your universe. God replied, Little man, you're not big enough to know the secrets of my universe, but I will show you the secrets of the peanut. Strange answer from God. I want to see the secrets of the universe, and I've got to learn about a peanut. From the universe to the peanut, oh well, Carver thought, better a peanut than nothing. God said, take that peanut apart, and he did. And he discovered several hundred components in the peanut. God continued, now start putting it back together again, this time in different forms. And he did, and he discovered that from the little peanut, he could make plastic, paint, oil, foods of many kinds. He became rich by maximizing the potential, the 
unlock, untapped potential of a peanut. And what if he would have said, Lord, I asked for the universe, and you gave me a peanut. I kind of was hoping for more, God. I don't know. I don't, I don't, that must not be you. But he listened. A peanut! George Washington Carver, look it up. Here's another thing I want to leave with you. God reserves the right to call you to things you have no talent in and to call you to places that you are unfamiliar with. Just because you've never done it before and just because you have no experience in it doesn't mean God may not call you to it. I tell you, when I became a youth pastor, I told you how it happened. This was 100 years ago. I was walking by some guys who were talking about starting youth ministry again. And I said, I got at home. You want to have a Bible study there? They, they said, sure, that's awesome. They thought it was God. I thought it was just being at the right place at the right time, offering my home. That's all. I was a bachelor. You know, I, I had a home. I was like, yeah, have a Bible study there. Have somebody teach it. I'll open the door with some chips and soda on the table. Next thing I know, I'm teaching it too. I said, well, I didn't sign up for that. I just said I would open my house. Now, had we gone through the normal routine and had they asked me, okay, Richard, tell us about your passion for teenagers, I would have said, I have none. Okay, tell us how many teens you know. I don't know any. In fact, I don't really care about teenagers, really. I mean, I don't. I just have a house. Make it available. I had no idea. God reserves the right to call you to things you have no talent in. <laughs> it was evident of my first teaching uh, of that youth group that I had no talent in it. It was evident. I mean, let's be real, Manny Pacquiao. I, I'm sorry. Not that he doesn't have talent. I'm not trying to say that he said he thought he won. No, you didn't. It's irrelevant. But I, that first Bible study, two kids showed up. I kept waiting and waiting and waiting for, for the kids to show I'm like, okay. You know, I had ripped off a teaching from a book. I thought, that works. So I'll try that one. I was all excited. had the chips and the soda. Not one kid. It's like 7, seven o'clock. No one. 7.30. Finally, I'm like, the guy shows up with two kids. And he, I said, man, where are all the kids? He goes, you didn't call any? I said, I told you, I don't even know any teenagers, much less their phone numbers. Oh, well, you were supposed to call them. Call who? Oh, that was fun. I said, man, we'll talk later. Come on in, fellas, eat up all the chips and soda. And I had one kid who was at the edge of his seat, just absorbing everything. And I had one kid who was dead asleep. And I thought, 50%, not bad, not bad for my first teaching, not bad. Not bad, not bad. I'll take those odds. I'll take that. All right, let me close with this, guys. Uh, yeah, I, how long did I do youth ministry? 13, 15? I don't even know how many years I did it. You know? And it always amazes me when some kid, if you're a coach or a teacher, you get this. You get it. You're a mentor. When some kid says to you, oh man, they call or they reconnect with you or, you know, they're in some trouble and they, 
they call you and you go, wow. And you, you shake your head and you go, I wish I could take credit for that, God. It was all you. I had nothing to do with it. I just showed up. <laughs> you know what I'm saying? I just showed up. That's all I did. Are you showing up? Are you showing up? Just show up and see what God does. All right. Don't miss the most important thing. The most important thing. More important than what you're doing for Christ is how you're doing with Christ. More important than what you're doing for Christ is how you're doing for Christ. Don't make the mistake of thinking because you're doing a lot for Him, you're good with Him. That's what religion does. They believe they're good with Him because they go to your door and you don't go door to door, so they're better than you, but they have no relationship with Him. Secondly, more important than what you do for Him is how are you living? How are you living? It's one thing to go to outreach, go to church, put on a face, go serve, and, 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 and have that godly appearance on the outside and invoke the name of God and then go in your home and have all kind of dark secrets and not living a holy life. More important than what you do for Him is how are you living. I got to tell you, I got turned on. My kids like rap music. Uh, and I'm good with some of the stuff. Some of the stuff I'm like, I don't even like that at all. But some of it's really cool. And I ran across this, this young man named MC Jin. MC Jin is a legend in the New York, like, hip-hop rap battle scene. I never heard of him because I never was in that scene. But, but I mean, this, this young kid and got born, it got rat. I mean, like, I was looking at some of his old stuff. And it was just nasty, profanity-laced and, like... You know, they would have these rap battles and he would say things. I'm like, oh, okay, that's enough of that, man. And then you hear him talk now. And he, is, he got radically saved. And so here's what he said, talking about how he lives his life and his faith. He said, I think what I rap about and what I write and perform on stave, stage is not the priority. This is a Christian post online. The priority is what type of life am I living? That's the section of my walk that I'm in right now, which is just putting more emphasis on non-music related stuff. How am I serving at home as far as my family, wife, child? How am I serving the group of individuals that God has placed in my circle? Uh, just daily, uh, uh, daily life, work life, then music and what I write and rap about. That, that almost kind of falls way, way below. What God has placed in my heart is... I could be rapping the most profound, uplifting, encouraging lyrics and doing crazy, crazy things, but if behind the scenes my life doesn't reflect it, what value is it? I thought, young fellow, that's good. That's good. So strengthen your grip on your talent for God's glory. Take some of these words and, and let God speak to your heart. And you know what? If you are not sure how or where you fit, call us this week. We'll set up an appointment and we'll sit down with you. We'll even let you buy us lunch if you so desire. We will. In case you're wondering, we, we will. Yeah, you know, just an offer. You don't have to, but we're going to have communion. 
And so if Marshals would come forth, and, and as we talk about unity and oneness, and, and, and you know that one of our core values is koinonia, and we use that word specifically because it speaks to the oneness and the unity of the body. It speaks to loving one another fervently. <clears throat> and um, as they are preparing that, we will read out of 1 Corinthians 11. Uh, guys, go ahead and just hand out the elements and then we'll partake of them together. <clears throat> 